Welcome to David Clark's We Are Superman podcast, episode number 233. I am your host, Bill Stahl. With Thanksgiving around the corner, our focus is on family, so who better to bring on to the We Are Superman podcast than the creator of the Leadville family herself, Marilyn Maupin. While Ken Clover and his rugged minor face and dressed in classic Western attire appears on the Leadville Race Series website and posters, Marilee, as co-founder with Ken, was the force behind creating the Leadville family that gets runners and bikers returning to Leadville summer after summer. It is deeply heartfelt when she says, welcome home to Leadville. And it's the goal of every runner who starts the race to receive the coveted hug from Marilee upon crossing the finish line, metaphorically returning home. The founding of the Leadville Trail 100 is well chronicled. The mine was closed and once booming Leadville crashed, suddenly having the highest unemployment in the nation. Residents fled in droves. Ken had this crazy idea to save the town by staging a 100-mile race at 10,200-foot elevation. Not only did it stick, but it thrived and then grew into a series of running and biking races from 10K on up that is now owned by Lifetime Fitness. In the early days, Marilee and Ken did almost everything themselves, including handwriting all of the race documents and marking and picking up the course, a task that took several days. I have started the Leadville Trail 100 nine times, plus run the Heavy Half, the Marathon, the Silver Rush 50, and hosted cross-country camps, so it's always very enjoyable for me to get to go back to Leadville. I got to meet with Marilee at their office that you've probably passed many times on Leadville's main drag and didn't even realize was there. The old house's interior is decorated with dozens of Ken's hunting trophies, as well as mementos of past races. I got to visit with Ken in the adjacent garage where he is restoring his gorgeous old Corvette and where his Harley resides. Even though Marilee co-founded the Leadville Trail 100 way back in 1983, she is still as fired up as ever about what the race and the Leadville Legacy Foundation do for the community and its impact on every runner who challenges themselves to cross the finish line. I think you will enjoy this chat with truly one of the pioneers of the sport, someone who is gracious and passionate and is as tough as anyone in the tough town of Leadville. As we hit the end of racing season for most folks, I'll urge you not to make winter a season to regress in your training. There's nothing wrong taking a needed break, but this is the time to start laying the foundation for next year's audacious running goals, perhaps the Leadville Trail 100. Perhaps it's the time to add ancillary activities like core work, hip and glute strengthening, weights or body work to help your body to be more resilient. I'd love to help you achieve all of your objectives. I coach runners and triathletes at distances from short and speedy to ultra long and steady. Shoot me a message at silly underscore billy at msn.com or on Facebook or Instagram messengers and we can talk to see if we are a good fit to make 2023 your best year yet. Let's get after it. We are Superman podcast family. Okay, here is Marilee Maupin and me. Morning, Marilee. Uh, it is a gorgeous day in Leadville. It is so so. What a pleasure to be here with you and seeing the mountains this morning. What a great day! Every day in Leadville is a gorgeous day. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, what's cool is, um, you know, obviously we, we're used to coming to Leadville in the summertime, whether it's, you know, the marathon, the 100-mile or the 10K, the bike race, whatever it is. Um, you know, that's what kind of built Leadville back was all these summer races. But, man, people really do miss out at times seeing how gorgeous this is in the wintertime. And obviously there's a lot of good winter recreation here as well. Um, we're here in early November. The uh, Mount Massive, Mount Albert are covered with snow and um, won't be long before Ski Cooper opens up, and uh, obviously there's Nordic skiing and snowmobiling and all sorts of great activities here, isn't there? Lots of snowshoeing. Um, I've kind of gotten so that I, I try to keep my little trail out behind my house packed out, and I don't have to put on my snowshoes. There you go. And I can just go out in my running shoes with my puppies and go out back. Right. No, I mean, so many opportunities here. But it's just, it's just gorgeous. I mean, um, I, I, maybe it's going to snow later in the week, but it, it, it's, it's pretty warm out here. So it, it's, I mean, just gorgeous. So it's special here. It is. It yeah. feels a very special place. Yeah. My favorite part all the time is driving in on Highway 91 and that first view you get and you see Massive and Elbert and sometimes I'll be coming in and maybe it's around sunset, like say this morning, the sun was bright on top of those snow-capped peaks. It was really spectacular today. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, good. You know, I wanted folks to hear about your story a little bit and, you know, obviously, you know, people know a lot of what goes on here, you know, with the race, with Leadville and with Ken and you and, and everybody else involved, but uh, I want to drill down a little deeper because I'm not sure if people know enough about you. And uh, I know that'll embarrass you a little bit here, but, um, you know, obviously the race started back in 1983, but you got here before that. Um, you, you grew up in Texas, right? I did. Yeah. Uh, a little, little tiny town in the Panhandle. Uh, come from a farming and ranching family, that kind of background. 1,030 people in the town, 100-year-old family farm. Right. So my dream was always to come to college in the mountains. I had a grandmother in Montana and a step-grandmother in Colorado and uh, looked at a lot of schools in both both states and ended up at Western State in Gunnison. Oh, okay. Fantastic. And what were you studying there? I was going to be a teacher. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, for those who don't know, Gunnison's kind of right smack in the middle of the state and it's not far from Crested Butte Ski Area and... Um, Pretty area down there, too. The Black Canyon of the Gunnison's nearby. So you had a lot of outdoors down there, right? There was a lot of outdoors, yeah. Yeah. But that, that's kind of interesting for somebody from the Panhandle to want to come to the mountains. But well, we spent our, our summers always, uh, in most, most summers, we would go to Montana. And Livingston, Montana was where my grandparents were from. And I just loved being in the mountains. And right. my other grandmother was in center Colorado, which is near Alamosa. Right. She had a potato farm and sheep ranch, so a lot of time in the mountains as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of time farming and ranching, too. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would imagine that went a long way towards developing the kind of character that it takes to live in Leadville and to start a 100-mile race from scratch, right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. 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 Lots of early mornings, uh Steam coming off cattle and just uh, doing what had to be done. Right. 
All right. Um, eventually, uh, you decided, you know, after graduating from Gunnison. I didn't graduate. Oh, you didn't graduate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, didn't make it that far. All right. I ended up meeting someone and getting married, and he was a geologist. Right. And that was kind of how we ended up in Leadville. Gotcha. All right. So, so uh, and the whole teaching thing never came about then. Did not. No. <laughs> All right. Um, obviously, you know, we, we know a lot of the story here about how, you know, a lot of folks worked in the mine until it closed down and uh, the impact it had on Leadville and, uh, you know, the whole story about how, uh, you know, the race basically was started by, you know, to kind of save the, the town in a way. But, but even before that, though, Marilee, you were, you'd gotten into racing, right? Well, um, so we came in 1970. And Miles was at the mine and was a geologist. He was killed in 1977. I had uh, we we had a five-year-old daughter. Right. We built a house. Um, my friends were like, "Oh, aren't you going home?" And no, <laughs> this is home now. Right. So uh, there were some truly hard years there. Um, because I did not have a degree, and sometimes worked three jobs and did did whatever needed to be done in order to be here because this is where I wanted to be. Right. So, what kind of jobs did you do back then? <laughs> <laughs> Just about anything. I worked for um, Leadville Housing and Re- Rehabilitation, which was a government program that. Uh, winterized and and did work on homes of seniors in Leadville. I worked at the florist. I worked for a um, gentleman who worked on appliances. I worked at a clothing store. I worked at a sporting goods store. <laughs> so just whatever whatever I could do. Right. And uh, that, that was enough to keep you busy, though, up here, right? Plenty, huh? More than busy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I did, um, I don't remember the first year I burrow raced, but I was a, a bit of a runner. I was never an athlete in high school. Right. I probably only passed gym because my mom kept my gym clothes clean. <laughs> I was so lazy, but uh, but you had an edge over the other kids who didn't clean their clothes, huh? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so uh, I did get started running and uh, loved loved running, and mainly just on trails. Uh, I I did the Denver Marathon, I think twice. And it was on pavement, and it was really, really hard because it was yeah. on pavement, and it was in the city, and wasn't what I was used to. But right, but it was still a great experience. Oh, that's good, cool. Hey, let's jump back for a second here. What, what what was Leadville like back in those days? You know, when the the mine was still open, but you're out here uh, scratching out a living here. You know, Leadville was booming. In those days, it was it was really hard for people that came to town to find a place to live. Nothing was for sale. I mean, there were times that there were only like two houses on the market. Um, I think the bars were really booming. Uh, 
Um, they definitely had payday, and you could tell when it was payday. People would be at the grocery store. The bars would be busy. Um, it, it was a, a busy, busy community. Yeah. Well, Everybody had, um, because the mine paid so well, Right. everybody had the newest toys, the best toys, the most toys. <laughs> I mean, snowmobiles and dirt bikes and all the greatest ski equipment and just everything you can think of that goes with living in the mountains. Jeeps and four-wheelers and everybody had Everybody had it all. Yeah. Oh, fun times then. And, uh, and yeah, the housing inventory, I'm sure, really consisted of basically downtown, all the, the old Victorian-style homes that have been around for some as long as a century. And there wasn't like all this new development going across the street from us away <laughs> from where we're sitting. Um, yeah, I'm sure it was scarce. But uh, the, the people who were here were doing pretty well, living high on the hog. They were. Yeah. Well, that's pretty neat. So, uh, so going back to your racing days there, um, you know, you were you know, dabbling and running, you might say, and then you discovered our great Colorado heritage sport of burrow racing, right? I did. Yeah. 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 How much fun was that? Uh, you know, I didn't love racing ever, and it wasn't burrow racing. I loved training. Yeah. I loved going out with my burrow. I loved uh, just getting out in the woods with the burrow and just having her with me and working with her. Uh, I loved training by myself. I loved training with my dogs. I was never <laughs> very competitive. But, I mean, I, I think that's probably why you enter races. Uh, even if you're not competitive, <laughs> maybe you, you've got other people to talk to out on the trail. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you can always talk to your burrow, and it's always going to give you the right oh, answer, right? <laughs> she talked a lot to yeah, me. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Where, where did you get uh, linked to this particular borough? So, uh, in the course of things that were going on in Leadville, <clears throat> and Ken and I had been friends for some time, we uh, had been in Fair Play, and there was a group in Fair Play called NOAA, and we were there for a borough race, and it was... Uh, National Organization of Wild American Horses. Okay. And they also had burrows. And they imported some burrows from China-like military installation in California that they were going to destroy because they had overpopulated mm. the area. Right. <clears throat> so we brought, I think we brought 50 burrows to town. And put a pen up down at the Chamber of Commerce on a Saturday and adopted burrows out all day long. Wow. And we adopted them all out. Excellent, uh, yeah. There was this one little Jenny, and she ended up being pregnant, but uh, she was one of the last ones. And I said, well, I think I'll take her. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was a rodeo getting her in the in the back in the horse trailer and right. getting her to the house, and she was wild. But within two weeks, she'd take a cookie out of my mouth, and I had nieces and nephews that lived really close in the woods, and 
they'd come down in the morning sometimes and just come into her pen and <laughs> they'd walk underneath her and she was so calm. Nice. Yeah. Good. And what would she like to race with? Um, she started out, she was scared of everything. She was scared of, you know, shadows across the road. She <laughs> hated water. Um, but just through spending a lot of time with her, she ended up <clears throat> being very trusting and pretty much would follow me anywhere. Right. Usually you want the burrow to be out in front, but if you're crossing water or something, um, she was she was good. If I was going to go, she was going to go with me. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that, that's a big achievement in that case. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they're stubborn as heck, obviously. <laughs> you cannot out-stubborn a burrow. Nope, for sure. <laughs> no, I was, I was running, uh, I was watching... Um, <clears throat> Uh, Burrow days in fair play one year, and uh, oh gosh, what's his name? He's he's kind of a legend in the sport. Curtis. No, it wasn't Curtis. Well, the Curtis was the Burrow. But no, no, it wasn't Ardell. Who was that? Um, Tom Stubble. <laughs> you know, I know. Yeah, I know Tom. And you know what? It was Tom. Now that I think about it, yeah. And so he was in the lead. Had a pretty good lead, and he was probably hundred yards from the finish line, and his Burrow stopped. Maynard. Yeah. And there was nothing he could do. And he waited out Maynard, and eh, I think 15, 20 minutes later, Maynard said, okay, we can do this now. And, and fortunately, he had a big enough lead that he was able to still... That probably was Tom, because he yeah. was always <laughs> way out in front. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yep, so, yeah. I, I mean, I'm amazed that, you know, when they say it's the Colorado Heritage Sport, um, it, it has been going on for a long, long time. I um, I used to coach up at Platte Canyon High School up here in Bailey, and... Um, I'd get I'd pick up the um, the local newspaper there, and of course they would cover the borough race, and they'd list the winners over the years, and it would go all the way back to the 1930s, I think. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah I think uh, Leadville and Fairplay were the first two, and I think they were in the 40s. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing David used to make fun of me about is that I am a stamp collector. And, really? Yeah, and I've got some interesting collections, and one of my collection is uh, the marathon race on stamps and covers, which are, you know, kind of uh, envelopes with pictures on them or cachets. Yes, we had one. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I've got a bunch from the borough races up here. Whether well, we had one for the for the 100. Oh, do you? Oh, really? We had one. I don't know if I have a copy of it or not. But. Oh, I, I have to look for that because I, I will <laughs> definitely, I want that so badly because I do have some from Western states. But I do have some from the Triple Crown Borough races. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, that some of them even say carried by Pack Borough and things like that. So, yeah, pretty cool memorabilia there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. So how many years did you do borough racing? Oh, I don't know exactly. Um, many years and many races. Right. We raced in New Mexico. We had races in... Breckenridge, Dillon, Buena Vista, Fairplay, Leadville, uh, Cripple Creek, kind of all over Colorado, the mining towns in Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. Creed, yeah. all those places, yeah. Didn't ever race in Creed. No? Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. a newer one anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like Tom's uh, the story we mentioned here, yeah, I'm sure you've got some entertaining stories about what happened to you out on the trail <laughs> some of these races, right? You know, uh, 
every race was was an adventure for sure. There was a race in um, Chama, New Mexico, that we went down for, and I always called it kind of a Vietnam-style course. It followed a stream, and the trail went up up a stream bed. But the stream was running. Sorry about that noise. Oh, that's all right. Adjusting my microphone there. (laughs) (laughs) And you went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over this stream and logs that were down. And you ended up on top of this. It wasn't a mountain compared to our mountains, but a mountain. And then you came down the steepest, um, and it was just... It was in a, I think, a, a, a game enclosure, and it had a wire fence. And I actually was having, it was steep enough, I was having to hang on to the wire fence to stand up. Right. <laughs> going downhill. But um, we were at that race, and, and Ken ended up uh, really tearing up an ankle. And it was prior to the hundred, and that has kind of a story in itself because got down and he was going to go to see a doctor that was, and I think it was on a reservation in New Mexico, and the guy did an X-ray and said, "Well, it's not broken. Um, we can do two things: we can either cast it or or we can." put a wrap on it uh, and fix you up there and kind of said well what's the most expensive and he said the cast and kind of said cast it <laughs> we got back home and about three days later we went over to Vail and his foot was so swollen and probably close to gangrene Right. and they cut it off and said it's a good thing you came in when you did. <laughs> he ended up running the hundred after that, anyway. But oh, of course. But, oh yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but still, yeah, he, he thought he was making the right decision, and it's like, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, good thing. Well, great. <laughs> um, so you you were you were racing. You're living in Leadville. Things were going you know, high on the hog here, and then of course the whole house of cards collapsed. On the town here, and uh, you know, very famously, I think the story's been told a lot of times. You know, Governor Dick Lamb came in and told you guys you need to find a way to get people here, and you, um, you know, you guys thinking there were some races here already. You were thinking of doing this, and then he said you got to have people stay overnight. And uh, you know, Ken had this great idea, like, well, let's have them run a hundred miles. Yep. And um, you know, one thing I don't hear mentioned a lot, but I think there was the, the local medical director or some doctor somewhere said. You can't have people do 100 miles at elevation like this. You're going to kill people. That was the hospital administrator. Right, right. Yeah, I remember when Kenneth called and said, I got this crazy idea. (laughs) I need your help. Right. (laughs) So. And what what made you say, would not try to talk him out of it instead of saying, sure, I'm on board? Oh, you know, he'd had some other wild ideas. (laughs) <laughs> we uh trying to get the word out on Leadville and just bring people to town. We started a wagon train at the state capitol. 
Yeah. We walked with our burros from the state capitol back to Leadville, and we had a wagon, a horse-drawn wagon, said Leadville or bust. Took us, I think, three days to do it, uh, <laughs> just to try to bring people to Leadville. And right. So Did it, that work, you think? Uh Maybe a bit. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we were all dressed in like pioneer type clothes, and I was walking a burrow with like a long dress on, and just and we had our kids, and right, and we camped along the way. Oh, great stunt! <laughs> it was. We didn't get to go through the tunnel, and we didn't go up over Loveland, so we stopped before there, took everybody through that tunnel on a horse trailer. Because by that time we had a tunnel. Right. When I first moved to Leadville. No. <laughs> no. No, you had to go over Loveland Pass, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, oh, that would have been great to see a horse wagon, you know, <laughs> burrows and everything going through the tunnel and see them stop the traffic for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, good. So, but, but somehow you said, yeah, Ken, uh, I, I'm going to help you with this. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, right. And, um, what did the medical director say after that first year? I want to get back to the organization, but after that first year, you had, I think, 45 finishers, and they all finished, right? No. No? We okay. had 45 starters, 10 finishers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Perna, who was our local doc at the time, heard the conversation with the, the chief medical officer at the hospital, and he said, came to Kenneth and said, you know what? I'll be your medical director. Right. (laughs) uh, Yeah, let's make sure things go right. And he was from the get-go and was a great medical director. Ended up just getting the bug and starting to ride his bike and being a many-time finisher of the event. Right. Yep. Yeah, talk about a great uh, turning somebody's mind around there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've always been interested by the fact that the medical... Um, attention, if you would, has changed so much over the years. You know, when I first ran Leadville back in the 90s, um, you know, we used to have that hospital bracelet and, you know, you'd get weighed in and medically checked out before the race. And that bracelet had your blood pressure and your heart rate on there. Yep. Yep. All that kind of stuff on there. And then I think uh, every 20 miles or so, you know, maybe every other aid station, whatever, we'd get weighed again and we'd get checked. And um, and eventually, I know uh, working out at Winfield some races, you know, I just became, okay, we're just going to weigh you at Winfield. And now that doesn't even happen. So right. we've, we've kind of come yeah. to the conclusion that, oh, yeah, people can actually survive this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there were a lot of times um, that popular opinion just didn't bear out as far as uh, I think it was if you lost 10% of your body weight. Right. Yeah, you had to stop eat, drink, until you could go on farther. And um, and it just, it was rules that just weren't weren't rooted in ultra-endurance athletes. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, actually, you think about it, if, say, you're a 150-pound runner and you lose 15 pounds, it's, uh, you're in a world you're probably out of there anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Great thinking. <laughs> so um you know we've heard these stories a lot about how this all got off the ground how you and ken were basically doing everything by hand in those days and um 
uh, you know, being a, a race director myself, um, you know, for a smaller race so that I'm doing a lot by hand, or, or even the cross-country races I put on where, you know, we're doing a lot of things by hand. But what a monumental task back in those days. I mean, for one thing, you didn't have a lot of other people to really rely on. Nobody, nobody could go to and say, how do you do? Yeah, it just wasn't out there, right? You're exactly right. Um, we didn't have a computer. We didn't have cell phones. So in those early days when I was, um, when we were sending out race applications and typing up the race entry, and I mean, it was all with a typewriter. Right. And I, people would laugh when they come in and I'd say, oh, I know you, you live at 15 and a half Colorado in Arcadia, California. And like, <laughs> How do you know that? <laughs> I have typed your name. 500 times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it was easy to get to know people in those early days because, uh, one, we were pretty small, and two, it was all hands-on. Right. Yeah. Our friends from California that came laughed at us because we got an ATM finally, and they had been here, and it was like, where's your ATM? We don't have an ATM. I can't even spell ATM if you give me the first two letters. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then they brought their cell phones, and it was like, you don't have cell phones? And uh, my friend Sandy Monahan from California came with her husband for one of the earlier races. She had two little kids, a puppy. They were camping at the lake. Uh, I was down at work, and it was late, late in the evening. Kenneth was probably at the Capitol um, because he served in the legislature. And a right. lot of the year, I was just on my own getting stuff done. But Sandy came in and she said, can I help you? And I said, eh, maybe. Please let me help you. <laughs> <laughs> she was dying to get it out of that campground with the two kids and the puppy and uh, okay. her husband who was out training constantly. And so she actually had a computer. And this next year when they came, she brought her Mac. She brought a printer. She brought office supplies. She brought all kinds of stuff. And the year after that, we brought bought a, a computer and that greatly simplified things oh my goodness i can't imagine right <laughs> <laughs> and of course you know most people know mike and sandy as uh i mean just first of all they're wonderful people but secondly as our cutoff king and queen out yep. there um I, uh, you know, I, I heard a story one time that they, you guys were, somebody created a shirt that said, you know, I'm going to keep running till Merrily tells me to stop. <laughs> and I, I always joke that it should say Merrily or Sandy, because <laughs> this year it was Sandy who told me to stop. And oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a whole story. I think people have heard about, you know, I, I didn't finish, but um, so, uh, yeah, what, what happened um, actually well, I was kind of behind in my time, the whole stuff behind that. But right before I got to half pipe, um, I got this just massive hamstring cramp. Ooh. And I could hear the station up ahead. I mean, I could hear the music and everything. So I'm kind of hobbling my way in. And there was Mike. And so Mike and I, we, we shared some laughs and, you know, talked about it. I got to the aid station and I salted things up, you know, watermelon. And I got some salty broth in me and I thought it would be enough. And as it turns out, my hamstring just kept cramping even after I left the aid station. And 
um, really didn't go away until I was climbing, um, you know, before you do the steep drop down into Twin Lakes. And, um, and that's where I saw Sandy. So, you know, and, and I know Sandy very well. This goes back to 2015 when I was the last ass. <laughs> and um, I got to know Sandy very well that year because um, she followed me basically the whole way in. From Twin Lakes in, I was within four minutes of the cutoff. And so Sandy was the one shooing me out of the aid station. She's so uh, such a great heart on her. She wants everybody to finish, of course. Absolutely. And she was making sure I was moving along so I could get to the finish. And, of course, I got to the finish line with two minutes to spare. Wow. You know, 29.58. But um, every year that I was not running in the race, uh, you know, 2016, I got some stress fractures in my heel three weeks before the race. That, that sucked because I was I was in great shape that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2017, 18, I had eye surgeries that messed up my depth perception. I just couldn't even train on trails. So those years I was uh, working at Winfield. And every year Sandy recruits me because she knew that I knew what it was like to be on that cusp. And she always recruits me to help cut people off. And after she leaves, yeah. Yeah. Well, not even after she leaves, even with her. Because, oh. you know, there are some people who are like, no, 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 no. I, you know, in fact... Um, 2019, I, I had all these things wrong with my feet. I, I had no right, no business being here in a way. But I was like, I'm going to come out. I'm going to run as far as I can, as hard as I can, till I get cut off by Sandy. Well, <laughs> I got cut off on top of Hope Pass, and Sandy's not there. And and I was the one who was like, No, 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 you got to let me go at least to Winfield because I only want to be cut off by Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. But uh, yeah, she is wonderful, and uh, yeah, I've heard the stories about how she and Mike jumped in early, early on in the race to help you guys out, which is great. Mike has his ten-year buckle. Yeah, lots of stories, lots of history. Yep, yep, terrific people there. Yeah. So um, you know, when I first ran the race, and, well, actually, no. Before I say that, um, you know, the other part about all the work you guys do. I mean, obviously, you're putting those packets together by hand and everything. The one task that still blows me away to think that you and Ken and maybe just a couple of other people did was the course marking. Um, you know, you're setting up a hundred miles of course markings, and you know, well, it's only fifty. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Although, you know, back in those days, I mean, you had the well, I don't know if they were pink and black ribbons like they are yeah, now, they, but yeah, they were. But then you had the ones that glowed in, at, at night, and I always thought, does somebody come out and put those out afterward? Because those little glow stick things don't last all that long. That's so right. thought, somebody's got to go back out there, you know, after the race has started. Is that what happens? Or it was. Yeah. Um, Paul Copper, who used to have Bell Sports Shop, which was next right. door to our office, right downtown, uh, would take care of the night part of it. He would get uh, the cross-country team. He would get his buddies. Uh, it would be lots of people that would go out and do different sections of the course. Yeah. Um, wow. Break those little uh, capsules. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you got to break them. right. <laughs> <laughs> you make sure they break uh, and hang them in the trees, Yeah. Oh, that's wow! That's something else. What a task! Just to digress for a second, you did you see? I'm sure you did about the uh, girls' cross country team here. This oh, past absolutely! Weekend. Yeah. So, uh, one of the little girls lives in, in Kira King mm-hmm. lives in my subdivision, and we put out great signs. Right. It was kind of like Burma Shave signs, and it said, uh, and her little sister also runs. Right. And was uh, a cross-country champ for junior high, Chloe King. 
Oh, wow. So the sign said, uh, Chloe, uh, go Chloe and Kira, Leadville strong, run hard, run fast, run strong, take state. And it was kind of a burma shave throughout the subdivision. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're really proud of those girls. Yeah. No, that was cool. So, um, yeah, I'm a high school cross-country coach, as people know. And so I was down there at the state meet and saw, um, you know, the girls won the 2A state title. Um, you know, Lake County High School has a very rich tradition of cross-country excellence going back to the days of the 80s and Hanks and I'm trying to remember. And that's when Cole Clover. <laughs> yes, that's when he was running one state. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they still have the most state <clears throat> titles of any school in Colorado history. And um, but, but as most they of them, should. Yes, as they should. And it's, it, a lot of it was quote ancient history, but now they've really come back. Jamie Peters has done a great job as the oh, coach there. Absolutely, and his kids are awesome runners yeah well you know the funny thing amy was, and jamie amy yeah, yeah i'm sorry i meant to say amy because i, I know amy better but <laughs> but um it was kind of funny after the state meet this year i just went out for a run on my own there because it, it runs on, on some trails there outside of colorado springs and i ran into jace her son who came in second individually in the boys race yep. and uh <laughs> it was funny we we found ourselves in this horse corral and <laughs> um and I mean, Jace, I mean, hardly broke stride. He just like hopped over this fence and then we're bushwhacking through the weeds, <laughs> through the creek. And I mean, he just lost me. I mean, it was like, okay, this is a mountain kid for sure. But uh, yeah, he was pretty matter of fact. He says, yeah, this race went exactly the way I hoped it would. And you know, like I say, he got second place, which was cool. So yeah, yeah pretty funny. But uh, it's great to see Lake County on the map again. This is their, I think the uh, second state title they've had in the last for two the or girls. three years. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So very cool. A two-peat. <laughs> yeah, two-peat, right. Yeah. Um, I've often brought my cross-country team up to the Lake County Invitational here, which is a pretty fun race on the Nordic ski trails outside of it Colorado is. Mountain College. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, yeah, cool. and, and that's also where our mountain bike, high school mountain bike team trains. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, tell you a funny story. One year, I brought my team up here to run the race. Of course, it's the weekend after Labor Day, so second weekend of September. And we um, camped out, out at Half Moon Campgrounds, and um, we had a little campfire going out there and everything, and um, two of the boys on our team were coming up on their own, and they were going to come up later, and um, we get a phone call from one of them, and uh, they're on top of Fremont Pass, you know, coming to Highway 24, past the mine, and apparently one of them's, uh, the guy's car caught on fire up there. Oh. Yeah, so they had a whole barbecue going up there. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we're you know, obviously concerned, but he's like, the, the kids are like, it's okay, the police are here, so they're taking care of us. And, and so we are, we're camped out, and um, it's about 12.30 in the morning, and we're wondering about these kids, and it starts snowing, <laughs> and, you know, we're looking at the snow here, and all of a sudden, this patrol car comes driving right into our campsite and drops these kids off. And I'm like, how did they even find us here? I mean, they knew we were here, but how did they know exactly where we were? <laughs> drops the kids off. The kids tells the whole story about the car bursting into flames and everything. We're like, well, we're glad you're safe and all that. So um, next morning we wake up for the race and there's a foot of snow in our tents. <laughs> and so um, we say, well, you know, well, we go over to Colorado Mountain College and sure enough, we get there and they, they called off the race. And, uh. Yeah, and it was probably the wise thing because uh, it was actually even a little deeper over there. And so, um, yeah, we, we, they called off the race because we hadn't gotten word because we were out, we're out here. Oh, yeah. And um, 
uh, in fact, it's a funny story also, just side stories. Uh, you talked about the lack of cell phones here and everything. I don't know what it was in the old days when I drive up to Leadville. My phone always reset its time to an hour ahead, like we were in Chicago or something. You know, I, it was the weirdest thing for years that always took place. And then my, you know, I'd go back to Denver and my, my phone would reset to the right time. It was weird, weird things. So, uh, but there were no cell phones back then, so we never got word that the meet had been canceled. And so, um, we just went on a run. Uh, we ran on the Mineral Belt Trail here, and so yeah, we're here. We, we just did a run and um, made the best of it. And uh, we always figured when there was snow, um, it was great for our kids. Right. Kind of because nobody, nobody would expect it, but our kids always expect it. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of like the, the better it is, the better we like it. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's what's great here. But, uh, yeah, nobody is, nobody's listening to this to hear my cross-country stories. They, but, <laughs> uh, but, but so the, the race, obviously, it, it started to grow. Um, I mean, slowly at first. Uh, my first experience here was in 91. Um, I'd been running uh, the Pikes Peak Marathon a few times, and a friend of mine said, hey, i got this friend who's running this thing called the Leadville 100. And I'd heard about it by this time. It was 91. And he said, you want to go up and watch it? And he said, I said, yeah, sure, and went up there. And little did I know that next year I'd be running the race myself after that. But in those days, I think there were 175 of us at the starting line. So it had grown you know, maybe that, you know, four times the size of the original year, but that's still pretty slow growth. But then it really took off, didn't it? Um, I think we were filmed for nationwide TV in 85, 87, and 88. Yeah. <clears throat> and after that, it did pretty much take off. Um, we were limiting it. Um, at that point, it was first come, first serve. Right. And race applications opened on January 2nd. We sent race applications out prior to that. Um, but we had a couple of people that would fly into Colorado and be on our on the curb waiting for us the morning of the 2nd of January. Oh, yeah? So they could get in. One was a stockbroker from New York City, and one was from California. Um, but we we tried to grow it just a tiny bit every year but we were pretty limited by what we could handle and due to the small size of our medical community we wanted it to always be a very safe race and um, also in a hundred mile race you got to be out there by yourself sometimes right and we wanted the race to be a good experience all the way around for our runners that was our number one goal so yeah no you guys did a great job with that and so yeah i do want to touch on something that is really at the heart of this race and you know you've been credited widely as creating the family atmosphere which i will admit too brings me back all the time i mean it would not seem like a summer to me if i was not back in leadville for at least some of the races uh, whether running or volunteering, um, I, I mean, it, it had an instant draw. I mean, even back in 1992, I could feel that. Um, where does that come from? Where where would, was this idea of let's not make this some cold, impersonable race? Let's make this family. 
You know, uh, maybe it, it's my upbringing in a, a very small community where people. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. This mic keeps moving on me. <laughs> Oops. Maybe it, uh, it's the Halloween factor. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Ghosts and goblins in here. There are some haunted houses in Leadville, aren't there? Oh, oh lots, yeah. lots and lots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just coming from a small community and people caring about other people and taking care of their own, and um, it's, it's the way I was raised. Right. And, and that's, that's what you do. Yep. So it just seems natural. It is natural. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is more than more than just words. I, I can definitely attest to that. It, um, you know, I've often joked even that the uh, Winfield Aid Station is my second family here because <laughs> the years I haven't run, I've been out there, and um, you know, they know me. Um, you know, and we, I've brought kids up there. I, I love to expose kids to this race, whether as part of my crew or as part of uh, just helping out at aid stations, because I love for these kids to see what people are able to push themselves through. Now, of course, that's the bottom line with this race. It's that people are achieving things, and you know, you've got a lot of taglines here about you know, grit, yeah. guts, and determination, or dig deep, whatever, but it is so true. That's the signature of this race, isn't it? It is, um, and always has been. It's um, people that are normal people doing incredible things. Right. I think that's more true even today. You know, when I first got into ultra running, it was us old goats who had (laughs) gotten slower, and so we went further. And I'm always impressed now I see the diversity of the people running the races, um, whether they're female, whether they're um, coming from sea level, whether they are look like runners even. I mean, sometimes I look at runners and say, yeah, you do know this isn't the community 5K, right? <laughs> but they're out there pushing themselves, doing the best they can. And then I see people, you know, in Annie Hughes, who, you know, wins the race at 23 years old, or Claire Gallagher, you know, some of the really youngins who are doing great things at this race it's, yeah. it's great to see how it's changed isn't it uh, you know i don't know that it's changed that much but in the early days there were years and years that the word was you couldn't finish unless you were from colorado right and you were you know from a high altitude and right. then we had a winner from california and boy that went out the window right um and it's not been just older runners, although our our overall um, race. I think it it started out, and our largest entry was from the forty to forty five year olds. And then it got 50 to 55-year-olds. <laughs> and uh, I think our, our older runners that stuck with us for so long, and there are ones, I mean, there's Al Bender yeah. was one of the first finishers, and he was still up here this year working at the half marathon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, family. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So as the race grew um, and changed, I mean, your task 
obviously, you know, got bigger and bigger and probably evolved in some ways, uh, you know, up until the point, of course, when, you know, Lifetime came in and has uh, continued to further the, the mission of this race. So I've done a great job of that. Yes. Um, we were doing, as you know, everything. We did, <clears throat> we sent out race applications. We did marketing. We did t-shirts. We did the retail. We did awards we did trail marking we did trail cleanup we did uh all the permits that were required with the forest service and the state patrol and the county and the city and and there were just it was a an enormous job and i think ken and i felt like we had pretty much pushed this bus as far up the hill as we could <laughs> right and then in 2010 when we sold to lifetime i felt like they just gave it wings and and wheels um they've been able to do so much for our community so much for our for our racers and their families they've kept all their promises to us uh, when we talked to Baram personally he was a sponsor before we ever thought about selling and he was a great sponsor and he he participated in the races and um, when he when he bought the races he said uh, we told him you know our community was most important and our racers were most important right and he said he would take care of that yeah. And he has. I feel like he really has kept all his promises to us. Fantastic. Now, yeah. that, that's very, very cool to hear. And now, he still is a great athlete. And, he, yeah. and in the early early days after they uh, bought the race, he wasn't going to ask anyone to do anything he hadn't done. Yeah. And he was not a runner. I think his longest race was a 10K. <laughs> And he did Leadman. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> almost killed him, but he did Leadman. Well, yeah, a lot of people almost get killed by Leadman. That's but, true. But it's quite the achievement to get through that, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whose idea was it, by the way, to add um, bike races, Leadman? Uh, you've got even okay. kind of a series of races now. So yeah. in, uh, I think it was 93, we had... Uh, Sponsor Rockport, yes, the shoe company. I wore their shoes in the race, by the way, in '94. <laughs> that that yeah. was something that they espoused was uh, running in their shoes, and they developed a Leadville shoe. Yeah, yeah, um, but they were going to develop a whole line of mountain bike gear, and our racers fit their target market as far as age and. Uh, income and expendable time, expendable income. So they were going to come out with this whole line of mountain bike gear. Shoes primarily, but gear. Right. And they wanted us to put on a mountain bike race. And I think Kenneth said, no, no, hell no. But uh, they wanted us to do it on the same day as the run. The run had been so successful at that point. And we just said, no, we don't want to do that. Right. Uh, They came back to us and they said, well, we had this idea. We'll put it on TV 
and we'll do uh, one Saturday for the mountain bike race, one Saturday for the run, and the third Saturday will be the the finish of both those events together. <clears throat> it was what they called anthology sports, and it was really popular hmm. on All right. Saturday TV. It was such an opportunity for our community that we just couldn't turn it down. So we went back to them and said, okay, we'll put on a mountain bike race, but we won't do it on the same weekend. We'll do it the weekend before. So we kind of had no idea what we were doing there. <laughs> but that's that's not news because we had no idea right. what we were sure. doing to begin with. <laughs> so um, put together a course and then... The rest is, is history. Yeah. Uh, I think we might have, I think we started the bike race, well, I know we started in 94, but I think we started it before we started the marathon. I think the marathon was the next event. We had a friend here who ran something called the Mosquito Pass Marathon, uh, Jay Jones, great guy, uh, not big on planning. <laughs> he would come into the office eh, maybe the week before his race and say, oh, I forgot to order uh, bibs. Do you have any bibs I can use? And can I use your water jugs? And do you have any extra uh, whatever drink we were using at the time? And and so we would help Jay out. But he, w- he had a course that had a place called... Um, no Hands Ridge, and it was pretty dangerous, and we'd had friends that had done the race, and uh, I think part of it you went downhill on a rope, and <laughs> it was it was a precursor to probably some of the those events that they have now that <laughs> require you to do pretty insane things, but we told Jay... Um, We'd like to take the race over, and he was pretty nonchalant about it. I was like, eh, I don't know. I might still put it on. But we said, well, we're going to put one on whether you put yours on or not. (laughs) And he said, okay. (laughs) And so that was the first. Uh, I don't think we started with a half marathon at the time. I think we added that later. And because we had running events and one bike event, we thought we needed to add another bike event, so we added the 50 bike. Okay. And a while after that came the 50 run. Um, so it, it started out, there was a, a sort of a, you could do both the bike and the run, and you got your name on a plaque. Yeah. And then we started with the other events, the the marathon and the 50, and you could do either one of the 50s, run or bike. Mm. And we'd had a 10K for quite some time because Mike and Sandy helped with that one. Okay. Because their son was a, a runner. So uh, that that we already had. That was the the day, or it was the weekend before the run. Always, because we had so many people in town training, and their families were here, and it was just one more thing that we could do together as a family. Right. So, 
that's kind of the basis for the lead man. Yeah, but somebody had this thought, oh, let's just put it all together. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do them all, we'll put your name on a plaque and yeah. give you a special award. And, right. Yeah. Actually, you made me think of an interesting question here. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the the heavy half marathon are pretty simple courses, really. I mean, you know, you leave town, you turn left, you turn left, <laughs> go up to the top of the pass, turn around. Um, but who came up with the 100-mile course, including... Um, I mean, I know we didn't want to make it easy in Leadville, but still, somebody said, let's put the son of a bitch, <laughs> pardon my French, Hope Pass in there. So um, there were a lot of people that were helpful on putting that together. We had a lot of running friends. <clears throat> a lot of them were burr racing friends. We all had favorite trails. Um, we always wanted it to be an out-and-back um, in in the early early days, Hope Pass was it was kind of a game trail. Yeah. Um, we went in and and talked to our our local forest service, Gene Idy. Gene was very supportive of the races um, because he was a community member, longtime community member. In the early days, you had one forest service supervisor and he was truly a part of your community it it kind of became over the years we'd have a forest service a new forest service supervisor every year i think in 25 years or something we ended up with 27 forest service supervisors but but gene was so supportive because he was a member of the community and knew what what was going on in the community right and we had found this trail and went in to talk to him and Kenneth said, I I think I need to go up and cut some timber on that trail to make it so we could actually use it. And he said, oh, you can't do that. Uh, you have to, you know, have the shaps. You have to have gone through the Forest Service training for using a, a chainsaw. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I really don't have the the budget or the manpower to have that happen. So, but I'm going to be gone next week on Tuesday <laughs> and Wednesday. And so Tuesday and Wednesday, the chainsaws were buzzing, <laughs> nice. and a bunch of our friends went up and helped clear clear the course. And since then. It's you know it's part of the Colorado Trail now. Yes, yeah. yeah no, it, it's a for real trail. There's even a couple different routes you can take to get Absolutely. up there. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in those days, the Colorado Trail was far east of there, right? Yeah, on the other end of the lake. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean there have been a couple tweaks to the course over the years. Obviously, the we don't no longer go through Half Moon Campground. We go through Half Pipe instead, and, and we don't go up the pavement. Right. In the early days, yep. going up, that was so dangerous. Yeah. At night with ultra runners, after they'd done 60-something miles coming down that highway from Aspen. Right. In the dark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was no fun, right? Yeah. And, 
the um, the Half Moon Road in the dark was always interesting because I, I don't care what the weather had been, all those potholes are filled with water. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't see them at night. I mean, you can see them when you got your after you got your foot in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're sitting there, you, you made it through the Arkansas, you, I would always change my shoes and socks, and then, okay, I'm dry, and then I'd hit those damn potholes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I um, remember doing that myself. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but basically, you just said, okay, we're going to piece together Turquoise Lake and Hagerman Pass and your power line, and you just, somebody kind of said, let's just piece all these together, and that was, uh, that was the course. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Um, Kenneth and Cole did a lot of the measurement with just one of those. At that time, it was public service. Well, it was, it was a wheel. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tom Sobel uh, put a clicker on his bike and did some of the course on his bike and measured some of it for hmm. us. And he actually, he was such a great runner. Oh, yes. But he never ran the race. His wife, Melissa, did. I was going to say, there was one year I actually ran with Melissa for a good portion of the race, yeah. but I didn't realize Tom had never run it. Yeah. But he did the first ever Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike race. Oh, okay. On a bike that probably weighed, I don't know, 60 pounds or something. Yeah. Uh, and ended up having a, a flat and carrying his bike. I will always remember Tom carrying that bike for... And running with it for miles, miles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was a beast. I I used to come up, and he used to have that 20K race around Turquoise Lake. Um, I did that with my burrow. Did you really? (laughs) Several times. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, No, he he was a bit of a legend up here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're talking about Rockport before. You made me think about... um, yeah, they. Um, I ran in those Rockport shoes that '94, I think that was. And I meant, I had a, I have a picture on my wall at home that I meant to bring. I should have shown it to you. The, um, there's a picture of me at the top of Hope, and um, you know, I've got a cotton T-shirt on from uh, from a marathon <laughs> I'd run. It was, you know, this was the '90s, and I've got white Thorlo socks. You know, they were like the um, mid, not mid calf, but crew socks. Um, these pinkish orange short shorts, you know, and, <laughs> and, and these brown Rockport shoes. And, you know, and they, we were kind of wear testing them for them, and they wanted us our feedback. And they said, if you do this, I think they were going to give us four free pairs of shoes or something. I thought, well, that's worth it. And, but it was so funny because um, every time people were passing me, they'd all go, yeah, go Rockport guy. You know, because <laughs> these shoes stood out so much. And my, my, what I said to them said the, the biggest problem with them is just the fact that they're brown <laughs> i mean I, I out of the corner of my eye i kept seeing these things thinking i got the wrong shoes on you know because it just wasn't a running shoe color but both uh, mike monahan and david strong ran the entire race yeah i did too yeah did you yeah kenneth was uh he he was a company man to a point i think he got to the middle school and changed shoes. Yeah. And then when he got back to the middle school, I think he changed again and finished uh, in his Rockports. But <laughs> he did not do the entire race at his Rockports, no matter what he says. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, they are actually great shoes. But, you know, later on I used them as my business casual shoes. Oh, yeah. Because that's what they, they, they look very smart, very snappy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was funny. You know, the other thing that you know goes back to the old days. I was just thinking about a second ago. Then is uh, the old Sixth Street Gym. 
Um, <laughs> you, you know, those pre, uh, pre-race talks in there, uh, very intimate quarters, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty iconic building. Yeah. Yes. It's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do they use it a lot? or You know, it, it gets used locally. There's yeah. some exercises, exercise classes and oh, yeah. some different things that go on up there. But, you know, uh, <laughs> we would fill that building to the rafters, and we're probably so lucky. I, I, I'm sure there was a, a fire department something that said you can only have like 230 <laughs> people or something yeah. in that building and <laughs> those were the days that people were willing to look the other way just because we needed the business in Leadville oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I remember um Chris McDougal uh, I think right after he'd written Born to Run, you know, we were in the 6th Street gym, and he was up there on the balcony. And, you know, just, I mean, we were just packed to the gills in that place. And, yeah, one year I remember, okay, here's the first place guy. And um, I don't remember if it was Ian Sharman or uh, who, whoever it was. He was just sitting right behind me. You know, <laughs> that was great. We're just uh, you know, all kind of packed in. We're all kind of one big, massive uh, running community. Family. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I know... Uh... Chris McDougall, after he wrote the book, uh, sent me a copy and said, thanks for giving me the hug when I never deserved it. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he tried the race but didn't finish. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, getting a hug from you if you haven't finished the race, to me, is kind of like that tradition where hockey players won't touch the Stanley Cup <laughs> until they actually win it, you know? or. <laughs> So, so yeah, let's talk about the hugs. I mean, uh, yeah, obviously, we're all thinking about that. We're out on the course. We want to be hugged by Marilee, not by Sandy, but <laughs> against Sandy. But, um, I mean, that just came out of pure joy, didn't it? It had nothing to do oh, with this. absolutely. Yeah, right. That's been probably my greatest joy in the race is being a part of, of everyone's finishes. Um, it's, you know, the tears... Um, everyone has their own reason for being there, right? Their own reason for making it to the finish, and their their reason reasons and whys are so varied, so varied, and so personal. Absolutely. And it's been such an incredible honor to be a part of that for so many people yes no you uh obviously people know about that they look forward to it and um i I, that's what's always impressed me in this whole ultra running world is everybody's got their own story yeah and for a lot of people you know running a 5k is their mount everest Uh, for a lot of people though it is finishing the leadville 100 and um you know what an everest that is oh yeah yeah um i i (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure you've seen some interesting finishes o- over the years. I mean, I know people are, some people are bedraggled. Some people are sitting there, you know, clicking their heels. And um, I-, I still remember my finish when, when, again, I was the last ass. And I had this stupid idea that I was going to do a somersault across the finish line. <laughs> and two things were working against me. One was the fact that 
I, I don't know why I came in that last mile with my poles still in my hands. I don't know why nobody took them from me or why I didn't give them to somebody. I don't know if I still needed them to stay upright or what, but... Um, but obviously, you're not going to do a somersault with poles in your hand, first of all. And secondly, it's like, yeah, I was already shot. And so, um, thank God there's a red carpet there because I went just face down. And, you know, I had at least a little cushioning there. Otherwise, it would have just been asphalt burn out there. Instead, it was rug burn. Right. Yeah, which was far better. And then, of course, you know, the hug and seeing Ken. And, uh, and even the fact, you know, they, uh, I have a little shadow box I put together at home that includes my, um, you know, my bib number my belt buckle my um the half the, the the last ass trophy which is by far the best trophy anybody could ever have it's the back half of an ass oh and i have a mantle full do you really yeah. i do yeah and the shotgun shell which i thought was really cool ken handed me that shotgun shell and i thought well that is a really special memento <laughs> as well but yeah. i'm sure you've seen some very uh, interesting finishes out there haven't you yeah 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 I really have. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I have joked that you know it's much better to be last than next to last. And if um, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming in, you know, neck and neck with somebody, I'm going to do a reverse kick so I can be last. <laughs> um, I mean, it was really special for me to be get to go up on stage with um, the men's winner, who I think was Ian Sharman that year, and the women's winner, and you and Ken and me. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> you know, as always, uh, Ken, neither Ken nor I were. Great runners, um, always back of the pack. And so it always was important for us to make sure that the the last runners felt as important as, as first place. Yep. No, but you certainly made me feel special that day. <laughs> I mean, obviously not everybody can be the, the last ass. And it continues. I mean, it's it's really funny. I mean, I, I sometimes get stopped in the street and people say, you're that guy. You know, or uh, um, even um, I, I didn't know Travis Macy back then, but I, did, I have gotten to know Travis. And, um, and, and here's Ken right now. And, <laughs> and um you know, Travis said, your finish was my favorite finish of all time. And it's like, how do you even remember that? You know, <laughs> I was coming in with my cross country team. I had about 15 kids in tow. And, and actually, it's kind of a funny thing. And I wanted to talk to you next about the, the golden hour, which at the Leadville 100 is so incredibly special. Um, uh, you know, when I was finishing that year, um, you know, again, it was I was coming through um, May Queen, the last aid station, and it was basically a few volunteers were out there, uh, my crew and Sandy, and um, you know a, few, a couple of other random runners. But it was almost deserted out there, and so in my head, I thought the finish line was going to be deserted. I thought, yeah, everybody's finished and gone home and showered and eaten whatever. I had no idea that people waited for the last finisher. And so that last mile coming up 6th Street, um, I got all my kids, of course, can join me for that mile. But then all these other people started joining this posse. And they all <laughs> knew my name. And, of course, I'm hurting like hell. Um, I'm, I'm just, I was leaning to starboard. I never had yep. figured that one out. Um, but but I'm, I'm coming in, and people are taking videos, and they're all joining in. And, um, and I had it all worked out. I'm a math-oriented person. I knew exactly what I needed to run to get to that finish line. <laughs> and um, I got about 200 yards away. I had four minutes to go. And in my mind, I'm just going to be walking this in. And all these people were there. And I'm like, damn it. i got to run now. <laughs> so I did. And, I, I mean, what an amazing atmosphere. I mean, you know, I don't know if the scoreboard exploded or <laughs> confetti came out. It felt that way, though. 
But um, but the golden hour, though, is so amazing. And, you know, I didn't finish this year, but I made the point. I was out there for the last two or three hours and just watching all the runners come in. And, I mean, it is one of the most special moments you'll ever see. I always say those last two hours, 8 to 10, are the most emotional, the most moving two hours of any sport anywhere. Yes. They're incredible. 8 to 10 on Sunday morning. I mean, it's constant, constant tears. Uh, you've smiled so much, your face hurts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Just, and I stay up all night too, so I, I'm, that last two hours, I'm pretty emotional. Right, right. It doesn't take much. <laughs> <laughs> And just tired and and just f- what people have accomplished. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, as I've gotten older, I get more emotional. I, I definitely get teary-eyed seeing a lot of those stories out there when you see somebody coming in, carrying the little kids, the little kids running alongside them, or the signs that, you know, about, you know, this person came through this obstacle, whatever. Um, it, it, you do get emotional. It, it is yep. amazing. And I was so impressed this year at how many famous runners, you might say, were, were out there at, during the golden hour. I mean, I'm just randomly, I see there's Scott Jurek, there's Courtney Dewalter, there's Annie, there's, you know, Robbie Ballinger, of course, uh, was out there supporting Hellas Adipe. Harvey Lewis came out and ran, but they were all just hanging out and um, everybody is there, whether you're, you know, run of the mill runner, so to speak, or, you know, famous runner, everybody was out there to see that spectacle. Yep. Yeah, it was so cool. So, uh, where do you see this race, uh, Marilee, in 2032, for instance? Or, you know, where, where, do you, where do you see it progressing here? I mean, we've been going now for, let's see, well, this next is, year's going to be 40 years, isn't it? Wow. Actually, it's 41, Yeah, but, but we had the COVID year. Right, so we're, sure. we're having 40 years next year. Yeah, um, well, for 50 you know, years, 10 years, wow, yeah. I, I hope um, people are still able to... Fulfill their dreams here in Leadville. Right. Um, it it isn't going to get any easier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's one constant, right? <laughs> People keep fact, telling me that. As you get older, that. it gets harder. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. right. Um, but I think uh, running down Sixth Street, crossing that red carpet, changes your life forever. Yes, it does. And I hope that it will continue on yeah. for for scores of runners and and those runners' children, which we're seeing now, and maybe even grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it reminds me of when I was running in 2019, the first part of the race, I ran with a young man who was a senior at Georgia Tech. And he had grown up in... Um, uh, Oh, Monument, Colorado. And he, uh, his name was Harrison. And he told me that, you know, we had a time to talk while we're running around Turquoise Lake. He said he'd been named after I, Harrison Avenue. I remember his mother ran the race. And his dad. She was pregnant when she yes. ran. Yeah. yeah, he said this was going to be his second crossing of the finish line or I something I remember like that. that. Yeah. yeah, and he actually did Leadman. Um, he did the whole thing. Yep. And... Um, and, you know, it, it was funny because we, we got to uh, May Queen and um, I recognized his dad. 
you know, I'd, cool. yeah, I'd run with him like 20 years, 30 years before or whatever. But, um, but yeah, his parents had both run it. Now here he was out there doing it. And, um, and it was funny. I, um, I gave him my bracelet here, this be positive. I've got mm-hmm. one of these for you as well. I, I've got one. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. And, uh, and, and so I, Again, 2019, my feet were wrecked. I didn't finish, but I was out there during the golden hour. And here he is coming in, finishing the race, and he's going like, look at this, be positive, be positive. <laughs> it, it was really fun. But nice. yeah, to see another generation out there, how cool. Yeah. Yeah, great young man, by the way. Yeah, that uh, you were talking about Travis Macy. Yeah. And I know Travis grew up at this race for sure. Right. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, he and his dad are just wonderful, wonderful people. And when uh, they were doing the um, heavy half, you know, they were coming through Resurrection. And uh, I left my post to go run with them down the road because they, Travis's young kids were there. And it was, just, it was kind of fun seeing that whole family out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't see any reason why the race shouldn't continue for a 50th anniversary and, and well beyond because there is so much value to this race and people's lives. And Leadville's always going to be here. Yes. It is amazing. You know, it, the race may not have changed. Like I say, the challenge is always there, but wow, has this town changed. It, it's, <laughs> it's just incredible. I, I kick myself to this day that I didn't buy property here in the 90s when I first discovered Leadville and things were affordable. You know, we say the same thing because in the 80s when the mine closed, there were houses that, I mean, you you could have picked up for five thousand dollars right people had to walk away from their homes um, because their mortgages were worth more than the homes were right but none of us had any money i know right there wasn't any picking up anything (laughs) at that point yeah but there yeah things have definitely changed oh yeah no and uh i i think i don't know if there was an ebb in the economic input you know, so for a while, you know, I would come up, you know, when I ran the race, of course, I would, you know, rent a place and, you know, and I'm eating at restaurants and, you know, I'm contributing to the economy, which I feel very good about doing when I'm coming to a place where that's the point behind the race. It got to a point at one, yeah, I think about 2010, where it, the race had gotten so huge that I couldn't even find a place to stay here anymore. And so I was staying with a friend in Salida, and I'm thinking, well, that stinks. I'm not even putting any money into this community here because basically I'm driving in from Salida that morning. I'm not eating at a restaurant the night before or anything. But it seems like, at least now, like the community can handle the crowd, so to speak. I well, mean, and I yeah. think the numbers are down. Uh, right. I think it was our fault originally, but um, we always, when when we were running the races, thought we could count on uh, 15% no-shows. Right. And I think we told Lifetime, you can count on 15%. Well, they had a year, and that's probably about when it was, that I think they had... Two no-shows or something. <laughs> so there was a year that definitely was way too crowded. And they listened to the runners, and right. they definitely cut back on numbers. Yep. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I like the, the change made to pacing over Hope Pass. You do? I'm not excited about that. No. Well, you know, I, I honestly haven't experienced it personally. I, I, so maybe I shouldn't go right, right out there and say that, but... 
Um, so going back to, I think it was 2010, I, I, I said, I'm not going to come back to this race. It's gotten too crowded over hope. I mean, people were literally just like putting their head down and shouldering people off the trail because it got really old on that single track trail to have to step aside all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, you talk about being by yourself. I remember the early days of the race. One of the things I liked is sometimes it'd be 20 or 30 minutes. I wouldn't see another human being out there. You know, maybe it was just me and my pacer, but, um, but yeah, it was solitude of sorts but um after a while it became just i remember running in the night and seeing just a steady row of headlights out there and so um you know from the standpoint both of running on hope as well as at winfield um i mean winfield we got overwhelmed there there were some years out there where we ran out of supplies even water one year i remember we volunteers were giving up our water to the runners because we couldn't send them back up hope pass without water so that's why I thought it's probably a good move to not have the Pacers start at Winfield, but have them start at Twin Lakes instead. But you say there's some negative to that, huh? Well, I just always thought um, having Pacers from the 50-mile point was pretty iconic. Um, and that trip back over Hope isn't an easy trip. <laughs> oh, No. <laughs> so I, I always thought that was a good place to have that pacer and that input from someone else to go. Input pick, or kick in the butt, yeah. <laughs> pick it up, pick it up. Yep. Yeah, I know my pacers <laughs> always going. had to say a lot of that to me yeah. going over there, yeah, right. So you said, uh, you mentioned something about... Um, Putting money back in the community, and that yeah. was the original reason for the race. Right. But we did that. Yes. Well, you've and, done it yeah. both from the direct economic impact, you know, where people are spending money in restaurants and room lodging and such, but also uh, I'm sure you would love to talk about the Lead, Lead, Leadville Legacy Foundation. I would. Yes. Uh, but what I was going to tell you was... Yeah. Uh, we so- soon learned that we'd, we'd managed to make that goal of giving back to Leadville. But the new goal was, and we realized it, changing lives. Sure. And, and that's so rich. Oh, it so is. So rich. Yeah, no, uh, you learn an awful lot about yourself running this race, as I can personally attest to. And you learn about those concepts of digging deep and grit, guts, and determination. And um, and like I say, you you learn it personally, but I think you demonstrate it too. That's why, like I say, I love to bring kids up here. I love them to see what others can do. You know, most kids I coach think of their world as a 5K race (laughs) or a mile or two mile on the track. And when they see people who... Um, you know, aren't as fit as they are in their mind, you know, because you're a teenager. What do you know? Yeah. And you see people pushing them through it, themselves through a hundred miles. It's a big impact on them too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But mentioning the Leadville Trail 100 Legacy, um, we had runners from the get-go that wanted to give back to this community. Um, they loved this community and. Found that love here, um, and, and the community gives back to the runners, right? In a variety of ways, um, 
first off, just the grit, guts, and determination that it takes to live here right. on a year-round basis. Um, I think that gives back to the runners. But um, in 2002, we set up um, a means, the Leadville Trail 100 Legacy, to give back to our community. That's the, the entire purpose of our legacy foundation is to give back and um, from early days we did give back to the community whenever we had extra money we did things and and we did them anonymously often in the early days sometimes we paid rent sometimes we bought groceries we did running shoes for the kids sometimes we do dental or eye appointments dental appointments um and, and tried to do it without em- embarrassing anyone because people were in dire straits in Leadville. Uh, and we put on a, a kid's Christmas party yeah. early on, and that'll be coming up here in December, but that's always been a really, really fun day with Santa and wrap gifts for all the kids. and So that's so been something. That, is it Santa Ken or is there another Santa? No, it's... A, it's a, it's Santa. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> so, I think he'd be a great Santa, too. But <laughs> No, we, we enjoy watching. It's, right? <laughs> it's a lot of fun to watch those kids open their presents. Uh, we started, I think, in 2009, uh, giving $1,000 to every Lake County graduating senior, regardless if they were going to research university or horseshoeing school we don't care yeah we're we're not trying to do anything other than blast open the doors of opportunity for these kids we've since increased that to two thousand dollars nice and that's could be life-changing oh Yeah. yeah i will tell you that we this year had a young man who we had given a scholarship to he got kicked out of high school uh, before he graduated and decided he needed to go back. He got his GED, um, went to Colorado Mountain College, went on to CU, and he is now Dr. William Mundo. And he's at Denver Health in the ER. Wow. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, we had a party for him. That was a, a really special day. Right. Yeah. Boy, what a lesson that is. Uh, you know, you can get kicked out of school and <laughs> still become a become a medical doctor. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think Kenneth uh, has always said that the best thing to come out of Leadville is going to come right out of that high school. Yes. So, And the Legacy, in addition, does numerous grants to other organizations in Leadville. We've supported the Mineral Belt Trail, the Pump Track, um, the Cloud City Wheelers who are building trails here in Leadville, the Senior Center, the Fire Department, um, Friends of Twin Lakes. We've built bridges. We've uh, just done things for the community kitchen, right. soup kitchen, um, the safe house, 
the Mining Hall of Fame. We've been able to it's do so much. Touching a lot, right? Yeah, touching a lot of Leadville lives. Yeah. Thanks to the generosity of our runners and riders and making a difference in Leadville. Oh, that's what family's all about in capital letters, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. The Wheelers, I'm trying to remember, is that a wheelchair organization? No. No, no. Okay. Cloud City Wheelers is the local mountain bike club. Okay. Gotcha. And they're goal is to build and they built most of those trails up at the college that you're oh, yeah. talking about yeah right but they've done amazing amazing trail systems in Leadville yeah well fantastic I look for us for at some point to outdo Moab as far as great trails <laughs> <laughs> well I don't see why you, why that's even a competition I mean we, we are far nicer than Moab as far as I'm concerned but oh yeah yeah <laughs> well that's cool well the foundation is doing great things and um, it, it's great how I mean it is organically funded by by this family here which is so it cool is, yeah. yeah well very cool well Marilee you've been so generous with your time here and um, it's so great to visit you here in the office here with all of Ken's trophies looking down on us here. <laughs> it's good to have you back in Leadville, Bill. <laughs> it, it, always, it always feels good to be in Leadville, trust me. So, uh, you know, always miss, uh, and again, it's it's great to come up here in November. I yep. Mean, such a beautiful Especially time. Especially when we're not covered in snow. It's a bright blue sky. Yeah. Well, and it, white mountains. Yep. Perfect. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, what what about Marilee? Should people uh, have we not covered here? You know, little uh, you know that question was like, what about you know what about you that we don't know about that we should know? <laughs> I, I don't know that there's anything. I'm a I'm a pretty open book. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but you got to know, I I love Leadville. It shows in everything you do. <laughs> Thank you. You bet. I don't think I could leave this uh, podcast episode here without hearing you just talk about, uh, you know, your favorite taglines. Uh, are you talking about uh, you're better than you think you are, and you can do more than you think you can? You know it. <laughs> <laughs> and inside each and every one of us this is an inexhaustible well of grit, guts, determination and when the going gets tough you just have to reach in and you can do it time after time after time because it is an inexhaustible inexhaustible well it's always there for you and Ken and I named our business which I don't know if it's really a business it's a partnership no limits enterprises Oh, beautiful. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't believe in limits. So, so true. No, uh, I, I have one of those old posters on my wall in my in my workout room in my basement that has the, uh, kind of looks like a rock formation, if you would. It says, you know, there are no limits. Yep. Yep. That's uh, always motivating me when I'm doing my gym workout. Good. Yep. Good. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Marilee. Um, can people find you on social media? I don't know if you're really out I there. I don't are you? do social no, media. No, okay. <laughs> My uh, uh, email is on the race uh, website. Right. But I don't. I don't do Twitter. I don't do Facebook. I don't. Do 
well, any of those things. So, no, I don't do social media, so right. to speak. But yep, uh, we're at Box One in Leadville. Are you really? <laughs> 80421, is it? 80461. 61. Okay, yep. Yeah, and I'm pretty good about answering emails. Sometimes I get behind, but... Right. Well, good. Well, people can find you there at least. But yeah, it probably makes your life a lot simpler without all that social media clutter. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. You bet. Well, good. Well, thank you so much for sharing those those taglines there, those quotes. I, I, I much appreciate it. And again, thank you for your time. This has been so special to Thanks for be able to visit up. with you. Absolutely. That will enjoy the rest of this beautiful day. You too. Thank you. Right after chatting with Marilee, I headed straight to the airport to catch the Elton John concert in Las Vegas. The biggest takeaway I had from that concert was that I saw somebody who was really iconic. That's what Elton John is. And that's how I also would describe Marilee, iconic. I'm sure you could feel how her warmth and enthusiasm came across in this episode. I'm very appreciative of Marilee taking the time to share the stories about herself and the Leadville Race Series. Boy, that was a lot of fun. Thank you very much for listening to the We Are Superman podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you can load all new episodes onto your phone. If you enjoy the podcast, the best thing you can do is share it with your friends or on social media. And please take a minute and give us a five-star rating, and I would be humbly honored if you would write a review as well. These five-star ratings and reviews help us make more episodes and rise higher in the podcast services search algorithms, helping more people find our show. Until next time, always be positive. Positive.